Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. that would be brave enough to say, sometimes women are confusing. Oh, I didn't expect to get that show of hands. (laughs) Thank you. Have any of you men ever had questions about women? Have any of you, y'all can quit raising your hand now because it's going to get, it's going to get deeper. (laughs) Have you ever had a discussion with your wife And she says a word to you, and it's an English word, and you think you know the meaning of it, but then you realize later that is not what she meant. Anybody? For instance, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help our brothers just for a minute, and then I'm going to talk about our women. Fine. That doesn't mean what you think it means. Fine. I asked for your help, but I didn't need it right now. (laughs) That's the word a a woman uses to end an argument when she knows she's right and you just need to quit talking. Fine. Fine. I'm helping y'all. I'm being a blessing to you this morning. Another word is nothing. You know something's wrong and you say, what's wrong? Nothing. Oh, nothing means something. And it's up to you to figure it out. Wow, it's another word. Wow, it's not a compliment. It's not. You just did something and she's thinking, how how are you so clueless? Wow. And the last one, when a woman says what? Nine times out of ten or more often than that, it's not because she didn't hear you. She's giving you a chance to say what you, re-say what you just said. When she says what, think, oh, what did I just say? I need to change that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Our twins love books. And uh, this is Jubilee's favorite book at our house. Uh, She's got one at her house too. And Grace told me the other day, she saw one in a doctor's office or somewhere. And out of the whole stack of books, this is the book that Jubilee goes to first. She loves it. It's a, uh, each page just shows a collection of objects. And when she comes to my house, she'll get on my lap and she'll point at the object and I'll name it. And then she responds. So if it's an animal, she'll try to make the sound of the animal. If it's a picture of food, she'll um, feed me bites of it. If it's flowers, she'll smell it. And um, each page is different, just got a lot of different pictures on it. And I confidently name each item. I tell her that's a boat. Tell her those are butterflies. That's a train. 
Now, I try to be a good grandmother. I'm a Mimi. I try to be a good Mimi. I try to be a good mother-in-law. And I don't, I try my best not to go against anything that the parents have set. But I've never sat down with them and said, now, y'all tell her this is a train, right? I've never asked, because they've got the same book at their house. I've never asked, do you tell her that's a blue boat or are we calling that something else? I confidently tell her what it is because I know I'm not going to identify for her mother to tell her it's a rock. I'm not going to tell her this picture of this orange is an orange for her dad to tell her it's a tractor. A flower is a flower. An orange is an orange. A tractor is a tractor. In 2023, it would seem... Has anybody seen it, heard it? What is a woman? Isn't it an obvious answer? What's changed? Why is our culture suddenly questioning the definition of something that has stood since creation? Why are we asking now, what is a woman? Many times when a question is asked, the questioner is looking for a loophole. How many of you have taken your kids to Walmart? Maybe it was just me, and I had to talk with them before they go in. Don't ask for anything. Don't look at anything. Don't touch anything. You're not getting anything today. I've got my list. What do they do? Mama, can I have this? Mama, do I need that? Can I have, what are they, they're looking for a loophole. They know you said no before you ever went in, but they want a different answer. We, we see this as, as adults, we see this. Pastor will set forth a guideline for holiness as directed by the word of God. And what do we humans do? We start questioning. How long is long? How short is short? What did you exactly mean? When you said, can you show me scripture for that? We're usually, if we be honest, y'all need to help me today. If we, <laughs> we're going to have a hard conversation today. Y'all know I love hard, awkward conversations. That's where we're going. Uh, we're usually, not, if we're being honest, we're usually not looking for a biblical answer. We're not usually looking for a Bible study. We're not really even usually looking for scripture. We're looking for a loophole. I don't like the answer you gave. I need another answer. I don't like the definition you gave. I want another definition. Why isn't the question, we have the question, what is a woman? Why aren't we also hearing the question, what is a man? Why are we only hearing what is a woman? In my opinion, it's because our society has spent the last several years devaluing the role of a man. They've already redefined what a man is. In the 90s, sitcoms such as Everybody Loves Raymond came out. And the story was about a family. Uh, it was a mom and a dad and some kids and grandparents. Were, I don't know too much about it. Other than the dad was portrayed as a bubbling, helpless, pretty much an idiot. Didn't know anything about how to raise his kids. Was no help around the house. Didn't know how to treat his wife. And we laughed about it. It was entertainment. And our world was so busy laughing that we didn't realize what was happening. So we go from the 90s forward, fast forward to 2023, and you know what our topic is today? Toxic masculinity. Masculinity is toxic. Traits that were formerly recognized and admired in men, such as strength and courage and independence and leadership and assertiveness, now it's a danger to our society. I feel scared. I'm in danger. 
They've devalued men. And so now the current culture has moved to the devaluing of women. And it starts with the redefinition of what is a woman. Commentator and talk show host Matt Walsh came out with a documentary entitled What is a Woman? And uh, if you get a chance to watch it, it's on Daily Wire. I believe it's on Twitter now as well. Uh, Do it. It's both heartbreaking and convicting. But he went to women of all ages and social statuses asking the question, what is a woman? And no one could answer him. No one would answer him. He even attended a protest where women were marching for women's rights. And he said, you're here as a woman marching for women's rights. Can you tell me what a woman is? No, no, no. Judge Kentanji Jackson was answering questions after she was nominated to the Supreme Court. And when asked to provide a definition for the word woman, her reply was, I can't answer that. I'm not a biologist. Well, you're a woman. According to the Oxford Dictionary, a woman is an adult female human being. The current definition of a woman, according to a Google search, is an adult who lives and identifies as female, even though they may have been born as a different sex. Redefinition. Well, I'm not a biologist, and I'm not a scientist, and I haven't written a dictionary, but I know the one who created women. I know the one who defined women. I know what he said about the first woman and what he said about every woman since. And so I'm going to take some time today and I'm going to answer the question, what is a woman? Can I tell you what a woman is? Now will you come help me? (laughs) I'm here. (laughs) I love him. Okay. We are not gender neutral neutral humans. He is a man. Y'all, we're going back to the beginning. We're going back to school. He is a man and I am a woman. We have many differences, many differences, everything from our bone structure. Again, I'm not a scientist or a biologist, but my sister has told me that a hundred years from now, if they were to dig up our bodies, they can tell by looking at our skeletons, that was a man. This was a woman. Everything is different about us. Our bone structure is different. Our DNA is different. Our heartbeats are different. We are different. Our strength is different. His strength is for, show me your muscles. His strength is for, that's why I married him. His strength, his strength is force. My strength is endurance. Force is not toxic masculinity. We need his force. His strength is the strength of the locomotive that pulls the heavy train across the bridge. My strength is the strength of the bridge that holds up the weight. His strength is muscles and strain and brute force. It's the strength to conquer. My strength is the endurance. It's the ability to withstand. That's what gets a woman through childbirth. And then again the second time. One is the strength by which we overcome. And the other is the strength by which we endure. And we need both of them. We need both of them. Thinking. We don't think alike. He is direct. This is not about personality. This is about men and women. He's direct. He says what he means, and he figures that when I say wow, I mean wow. 
He thinks that when I say fine, I really mean fine. I don't. But he thinks that because that's how he thinks. He's direct. Women don't always take a direct approach. Can I hear the men say amen? We don't always say what we mean. We want you to figure, we're going to go around the, we want you to figure it out. One woman said, my mind is like my internet browser. There's 19 tabs open, three of them are frozen, and I have no, in, no idea where the music's coming from. But our needs are different. We have different ideas of what adventure is. We have different ideas of how to raise children. We have different parenting styles. We are different. Thank you. He's a man. I'm a woman. Genesis 1:27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And then what did God do? God blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God created both man and woman and he gave them jobs. In Psalm 139, it says, Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfected. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Just a little plug, life begins at conception. And abortion is murder. Women, God knit you together in your mother's womb. You were not an accident. This is not just a physiological thing. Your parents did not create you. God created you. He knit you together. He, he knit your soul, your spirit, your being, your mind. You are his creation. And you were made to glorify him. What is a woman? A woman is a creation of God. God created you, so God defines you. What does God say about women? What does he say a woman is? According to Proverbs 3, he says she's more precious than jewels. And nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasantness, and all of her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. We need to be celebrating these women. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Amen. Proverbs 11 says a gracious woman gets honor. And then that chapter in Proverbs 31, he says about women, an excellent wife, a woman is far more precious than jewels. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's to be praised. And then finally, Psalm 46 says, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. According to Titus, and I'm not going to read all of these scriptures, but there's a Bible full of what God says about women. According to Titus 2 and 3, a biblical woman is a teacher of good things. 
according to Ephesians 5, if she's a wife, she is submitted to her own husband. She's modest in her appearance, 1 Timothy 2.9. She's clothed in good works, 1 Timothy 2.10. She is a keeper of the home, Titus 2.5. She is faithful in all things, 1 Timothy 3 and 11. We know what a woman is. What's going on in our world currently, this redefining of the genders is demonic. And every concession to it, every concession to it is a concession to the doctrine of demons. We cannot concede to it. Silence cannot be an option for a Christian. When the culture is screaming about topics like sexuality and gender, but the Christian is silent, our generation only hears one side of the argument. We must love genuinely and we must teach biblically. Do we love? Yes, the Bible tells us to. Do we tolerate? No. Nowhere in Scripture is tolerance held up as a virtue. Our values must be firmly anchored in the Word of God and not in this world's broken system. We believe the truth of the Word of God. We learned during the Church on Fire series that Jesus warned the church at Thyatira against tolerance because it was leading them to immorality and idolatry. When we begin to tolerate something that the Word of God says is sin, the path leads to idolatry. The path leads to immorality. We do not tolerate. Our culture confuses sometimes love and tolerance. If you love me, you'll tolerate me. There's, the two couldn't be more different. Love seeks the good of the other person. We've heard love the, love the sinner, hate the sin. I seek the good. I love the person. I want the good for them. Tolerance simply seeks to be thought of as good in the other person's eyes. Love says I love you no matter who you are, what you're doing, what your thoughts are. I love you. Tolerance says, I don't agree with you, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it's okay. I'm going to concede. I'm going to, and we mistake that for love. That's not love. In other words, what the world says is to love me, you have to tolerate my ideas and my behavior. Love comes from fearing God. Tolerance comes from fearing man. Too many times we tolerate because we're afraid of what people will think about us if we don't. But it comes down to that simple question. Do I fear God? Or do I fear man? Do I love or do I tolerate? The milder we make the... And I know I'm being forceful on some of this stuff and direct. But y'all, we're at a war. This is nothing to laugh at. It's sad. The milder we make the label, the more potent we make the poison. If you have a bottle of poison and you pour it into a milk carton because I don't want to scare my kids that I've got this bottle of poison with skull and crossbones on it says poison. That's scary. I'm important to this bottle of this carton of milk. Put it in the refrigerator. What's the label say? The label says milk. It sounds better. It's not as scary. I'm not looking at a bottle that says poison on it. It says milk. It's more palatable, but it becomes more dangerous. And the reason is it's not correctly labeled, and my children may consume it. Because they don't know. They haven't been warned. When I tolerate something that is against the word of God, I'm not warning my children. I'm not telling them that's poison. 
That's poison. You stay away from that. I'm saying let's cover it up. Let's tolerate. And then when they partake of it, that's on me. We've got to be a light in this dark world. Now is not the time to retreat behind closed doors. Now's the time to advance. Mamas, you are the gatekeeper. Titus says that we are the keepers of the home. We keep the door. Basically, what that means is we say what comes in. We say what stays out. We are the gatekeeper. That's part of being a woman. Corey Ten Boom was a Jewish woman. Uh, many of you probably heard of her that spent several years in a concentration camp. And she wrote about her experiences in a book called The Hiding Place. It's an excellent book. And uh, she tells a story about asking her father a hard question when she was a child. Her uh, father was a clockmaker and repairer. And he would also often take a train ride to pick up parts for his clocks uh, to work on them. And she would go with him. And it was during that time, one of those train rides, that she chose to ask him about what was on her heart, this hard question. And she writes, he turned to look at me, as he always did when answering a question, but to my surprise, he said nothing. At last, he stood up, lifted his traveling case from the rack over our heads, and set it on the floor. Will you carry it off the train, Corey, he asked. I stood up and tugged at it. It was crammed with watches and spare parts he had purchased that morning. It's too heavy for me, I said. Yes, he said. And it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. And it's the same way with knowledge, he went on. Some knowledge is too heavy for children. When you are older and stronger, you can bear it. For now, you must trust me to carry it for you. She goes on to say, and I was satisfied. More than satisfied, I was wonderfully at peace. There were, question, there were answers to this and all my hard questions, and for now, I was content to leave them in my father's keeping. Mamas and daddies, you have the right, the responsibility, to decide what information your children are subjected to. Amen. Just because something is being screamed in our current culture doesn't mean that you're obligated to expose your children to it. You decide. It's your decision. It's your responsibility. We are not overprotective when we shield our children from certain things. We're not overprotective. With wisdom and the Lord's guidance, little by little, we let them carry heavier burdens as they learn to carry that weight. But we shield them and we decide when they have the ability to deal with the heavier things. We are the gatekeepers. Good. You know, sometimes as a young mother, um, especially a Christian mother, you may hear comments about keeping your children in a bubble. Anybody else ever heard that? I used to hear that. Some. You're just trying to keep them in a bubble. As though sheltering them is a bad thing. Right. I read someone else's response to that comment, and I loved it. Let me share it with you. She said, it's not a bubble. It's a greenhouse. A bubble stifles growth and blocks out nutrients. A greenhouse provides environment for cultivation. Children's hearts need cultivated in greenhouses before they're ready to be transplanted out into the world. We release them when their roots are deep and they are mature enough to withstand the storms, but not before. And while they're still under our protection, we take 
The parents take responsibility for their training. It's neither parenting out of fear nor going to the extreme of being permissive. No, our kids shouldn't grow up in a bubble. But we are in this world, not of this world. We need to keep them in the greenhouse of our homes and our churches. Your home has the right conditions. It's up to us, mamas, to make sure our home has the right conditions to cultivate them, for them to grow, for them to flourish. Don't allow people to tell you you can't shelter your children. They're not their children. They're yours. Yes, you can shelter them. Yes, you can keep them in a greenhouse. And you absolutely should. You should protect them while they're young. You should protect them while they're innocent. You should protect them while they're growing. And then as they're growing, they become prepared. Don't fall for the line that kids are tough. They're resilient, but they're not tough. You build their strength in the safety and security of a home slowly with wisdom and prudence. Again, we weren't entrusted with the whole world. We were entrusted with the children in our home. Amen. Sister Deborah Mayo, a pastor's wife in Louisiana, wrote, If Moses' mama hadn't built an ark for her son, he would have been just another casualty in Egypt without a future. That mama built that ark. Do you think she knew what she was doing when she built it? Do you think she built it thinking, I'm saving his life because he's going to grow up and be the deliverer of our... I don't think she knew that. I don't think she saw that far ahead. We know that because we've read the story. Right. She didn't have... She didn't, wasn't privy to that information. All she was doing was saving the life of her son. She was being a good mama. So we prepare arcs for our children through prayer and wisdom. You can't force your children to believe. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just force feed them and because you know the path, you know what's ahead of them, if you could just, but you can't. But you can make it very hard for them to doubt. You do this by teaching them the word of God because that protects them from the lie of the enemies. The place for kids to be taught biblical ways of thinking is the home. A lot of times we uh, are prone sometimes to leave that to the church or think they get biblical. They do get teaching at the church. We've got an awesome Christian education staff. They do get, but they're here, what, three hours a week? How many hours are they in our homes? The home is the place that we teach them the word of God. Explain terms they don't understand. They're going to hear some stuff in church they don't understand. They're going to read things in the scripture they don't understand. Explain it to them and help them fall in love with God's word. Whatever that looks like, help them fall in love with it. Explain terms they don't understand. This isn't just for young children. This applies throughout their life. Another thing, another way to make them make it hard for them to doubt is to model righteous living. Be at home what you are at church. Be on the job what you, be the same. Don't allow anything in your life that you don't want reproduced in your children. We complain sometimes about our kids having screen time. Where'd they get it? Give your children a taste of the things of God when they're young, and when they're older, the world won't be able to satisfy. Amen. Your kids are going to eat what you feed them most of the time. They're going to worship where you take them, and they're going to read what you hand them. They're going to live where you move them. Amen. So choose wisely. Yes. Choose wisely. Stay consistent in your faith. Teach your kids that anything that goes against the word of God is not an alternate lifestyle. Come on. Come on. It's a snare of the devil. Amen. 
According to Psalm 1, we must not allow our children to stand, sit, or walk with those who deny biblical truth and morality. Instead, we must place them in situations that will help them to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. And surely this involves how and where they are to be educated. That's up to you, mamas. That's up to you. Bring your kids to church as often as possible. Hide them. Hide them in the house of God. Surround them with the people of God. Tell them this is their family. Tell them you're safe here. Bring them down front. I'm talking to mamas of littles right now. Bring them down front for worship. I Thank you, mamas. Give our mamas of littles a hand that bring their kids down here. That's awesome. Thank you. What are they doing? Quite frankly, they're playing. If it's a two-year-old and they're, they're jumping, they're just jumping. But you know what we're teaching them as mamas? We're teaching them, we come down here for worship. This is the altar, and this is how we worship. You may not understand why you're doing it, but I'm showing you how. We jump. We dance. We clap our hands. We raise our hands. Sometimes we cry. We're giving them, we're making, if we keep them on the seats until they're old enough to completely understand why, they're going to be too backward to do it. Bring them down here when they're young. Find a seat in the front. Sister Jessie, thank you. Thank you. Find a seat in the front, down here near the platform. What if they're loud? Well, they're going to be loud anywhere else. But let me tell you, when you sit them near the front, they got a front row seat to see. They can see everything that's going on. Our girls, our twins, aren't they awesome, y'all? They love to give their offering, but they're just a little bit impatient. And as soon as we get the, the bills out, or as soon as he's, he, they know when it's coming. And as soon as the men come down the front with the offering baskets, it's over. But what are they wanting to do? They don't know that they're building the house of God. They don't know what they're doing. They just know this is church and this is fun. Look what I get to do. Make it a good place. Let's never let our, let's never let our conversation be, oh, we got to go to church tonight. I'm tired, but we got to go to, no, we get to go to church tonight. Here's your offering. Here's your Bible. We're going to go down front. As soon as we get there, we're going to go down front and you can jump. You can, you can do what you want to do. We're going to worship God. We teach them. We teach them. Give them a Bible even before they can read. Point to the picture or the verse when pastor preaches. Help them make the connection between what I've got in my hand and what he's saying. He's preaching out of this Bible. It's not a Bible to play with. It's a Bible that we get out at the time of the ministry. Pastor's teaching out of this. Teach them to say amen to the preached word. If they want to talk in church, tell them what to say. Say amen. Say hallelujah. Say thank you, Jesus. For your teens, or as they get a little bit older, preteens, have hard conversations with them. I know these things are hard to talk about, and they're awkward to talk about and they're messy and sometimes we just want to avoid but our kids are facing things in this world in school in the workforce at the neighbor's house through their friends they're facing things that we never had to face as the adults never had to face so the best thing we can do is keep the lines of communication open and when they bring up a topic take them to the word of god Mama, I saw this today, and I'm not giving. What does the Bible say about that? 
What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about men and women? What does it do? It teaches them to recognize truth. Then when they're faced with situations in life that don't line up with the word of God, even if they don't have a scripture in their mind for it, they're going to be familiar because they've grown up hearing his word, knowing his word, worshiping in his presence. The Bible calls it trying the spirits. They're going to grow up understanding that doesn't feel right. I don't know why, but that doesn't feel right. You're teaching them to try the spirits. You're teaching them to be spiritual. That's biblical. That's biblical. In this sinful culture, the enemy has underestimated one thing in his war against children. Because make no mistake, the attack is on our kids. The attack is on the youth. The attack is on the younger generation. That's where the attack is. That's what the enemy is putting his full force toward. But he's, he's not the smartest thing on the block. And one thing he has underestimated is the warring prayer of a righteous mother. You know, in the Old Testament, they, um, the children of Israel would seek the Lord before they went into battle. And if they weren't going to win, they went, they went knowing we're going to be victorious because the Lord would say, Go. Okay, when you hear the sound of the mulberry trees, go. When you see this, go. When this happens, go. He was telling them the signs to watch for and then telling them to go in battle. When we go in battle, into battle, and we know that we're fighting the right battle, we're fighting a battle on behalf of the Word of God that agrees with the Word of God, there's no other option than victory. So, When we pray for our children, we've got Bible to stand on. We can pray against the wickedness of this generation. We can pray that it not touch them. We can, my mother-in-law used to pray for my husband. He went to a very uh, dangerous drug-filled school. They had dogs and security guards and metal detectors before you would go in. And every morning, his mother would pray over him. You have made uh, blinded eyes see. Now, I ask that you make seeing eyes blind to the things of this world. And he will say, they took him out. They'd come in and arrest kids. He never saw drugs. He never saw any kind of a drug deal go down. Why? Because of a praying mother. That's the power we have. And the enemy has underestimated us. But I'm going to cover my kids. I'm going to cover my grandchildren. And you've got the right to do that too. That's what a woman is. That's what a woman is. You know, in the grand scheme of things, moms in the Bible play a remarkably strategic role in God's story of redemption. But one thing that's interesting is I don't think any of them really had much of a clue how significant their actions were at the time. Again, go back to Moses. Mama, she was just saving her son. They were women that trusted the Lord. They believed his promises and they were faithful in the context and the circumstances they found themselves in. What did they do? They just took the next step, believing God. That's what he's asking us to do. Hannah just wanted a baby. I doubt that um, she thought when he's eight years old, he's going to be the connection between God and his people. I doubt she thought he's going to be a mighty prophet for God. I I doubt she just wanted a baby. 
Sometimes we're so human that we are so human that that's all we see. We don't see, we don't see the rest of the story. We don't see what we're playing out in the redemption plan. But Andy Stanley, I believe it was him, said, sometimes the most spiritual thing you will do in the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. It matters what we teach our children. So we never give up. We never give up. It's not always an easy road, is it? Is there a mama here that would raise your hand and say, it's been roses? Thank you for not raising your hand. <laughs> there isn't a woman here that would say, it starts with something called labor. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be rewarding. Uh, there isn't a woman in the Bible used by God that had it easy. Think of Ruth. Think of Esther. Think of Sarah, Hannah, Mary, the woman with the issue of blood. None of them had it easy. So don't fall for the feel-good prosperity gospel being preached that says that once you live for God, if you're a child of God, everything comes up roses. That's a bunch of mess. God's daughters don't always have it easy. But we do have it anointed. And we do have it appointed. And we do have it highly favored. And we do have it victorious. I'll take all that. I'll take all that. Make no mistake, we're at war. This world's agenda now is in our education system. It's in the cartoons our children watch. It's in the TikTok videos your teens view. It's on our streets. It's in our government. It's a blatant, they don't even try to hide it anymore. It's a blatant attempt to indoctrinate our children to indoctrinate our youth with the agenda of hell. And so we fight. We are diligent, and we fight. We fight when we take, as women, when we take our rightful place at the keeper of our home, and we guard the doors. Amen. We fight as a wife when we take our rightful place beside our husband and say, I'm committed to you until death parts us. We fight when we gather our children around us and teach them the ways and the word of God. We fight when we look at what our children have been viewing on their phones. We fight when we inspect the books they read, when we know the movies they watch. We fight when we enter their prayer closet. No, we're not being overbearing. We've got you in a greenhouse, and we know what the enemy's after. We fight when we enter our prayer closet. We fight when we stand as strong, unrelenting, determined women of God. We serve and we encourage and we work and we change diapers and we change the world because we're a woman. That's what a woman is. That's what we do. This is who we are. We are, you are, ladies, a beautiful, fierce-hearted force. You will not be defeated. You will not be say it. I will not be defeated. My children will be saved. Let's try that one again. Because y'all didn't say it like you thought it or like you meant it. I will not be defeated. My children will be saved. My children will be saved. My grandchildren will be blessed. Come on, say it. My grandchildren will be blessed. Say it. Say it again. I bind the enemy that's after their soul in the name of Jesus. I plead the blood of Jesus over my household. Nothing is welcome in my household that's against the, the word of God. Whew. Sorry, y'all. I'm getting, I'm getting a little... 
I'm eating up with this. I am tired of the enemy that's trying to come in and silence our women. The enemy is trying. The enemy is trying to silence the voices of women around the age of 30 and older. Can I tell you why? Because we're not as impressionable. We've been through some things. Uh, Brother Keith and I was having a conversation the other night, and I told him, I said, 50 was my favorite birthday. I'm going to be 60 this year. 50 was my favorite birthday. This one better even be better. 50 was my favorite birthday, and he said, why? And I said, I think it's because it took me a while. I'm a slow learner sometimes. It took me that long to learn. I do know some stuff. I do know what the devil looks like. I do know what he sounds like. I do know I can try the spirits. I know when it's the voice of God. My dad said something to my son that just awesome. Uh, he was when David was going for his first internship in Louisiana and uh, Bishop taught him, said, the Lord's going to speak to you in this. And David asked a question that we're usually a little bit fearful to ask because you think it's a simple question. He said, how will I know it's the voice of the Lord? And Bishop said, it's the first voice you'll hear. The second voice will be the devil or for your children. The second message that comes is you don't even know what's going on. You're not relevant. You're too old. You're too tired. Your prayers don't matter. That's not God. That's not God's voice. So what is a woman? Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. A biblical woman is a gospel-centered woman. She's created, redeemed, blessed, and gifted to be a blessing to those around her. What is a woman? A biblical woman is the embodiment of beauty, intelligence, truth, and honesty. What is a woman? A biblical woman walks in dignity. She displays patience, diligence, generosity. I'm giving you a lot of definitions, but this is it. A biblical woman is a warrior. A biblical woman is a warrior. Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorchurch.com to learn more about our ministry.